What is sherry? Palomino grape, made into wine, put into barrel, to about two-thirds full and fortified. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. David Dacker, your host. What is sherry? That is the question that is going to be answered in this episode. It is uh, going to be a fun one um, because I always have a good time whenever I uh, talk to Andy Seymour. Um, if you don't know Andy Seymour, he's uh, with uh, Liquid Productions and Bar 5. And uh, this interview was not recent. This interview was uh, about a year and a half ago whenever I went to a world-class event in San Antonio. And um, after the event, we sat down and chit-chatted. And uh, he you know, broke down the whole thing with Sherry for me. It was on a video format, so I had to pull the audio from this. So the audio is, uh, is a little bit uh, shoddy. So give it a minute and uh, it'll be fine. Also, this week, the Tuesday, May the 14th at uh, Julep in Houston. Andy's going to be with uh, Chris Forbes from Flatgate giving a seminar on a different fortified wine that is going to be port. One of my favorite fortified wines is vermouth, but we're not going to be talking about that yet. Uh, That is... uh, like I said, Port is going to be on Tuesday, the 14th. That seminar, I've uh, I've sat through one of those similar, and uh, it's it's a great amount of information. This particular episode is going to be on Sherry. Um, a lot of us have been started to use it in uh, the recent years because uh, it has gained a bit of uh, popularity with bartenders, and and it's it's a great thing because the amount of complexity that exists in a bottle of Sherry is hard to find. All right, Houston, do you like to be last? Is that something that uh, we're so used to that we simply accept it every time that it happens? Because it seems like even though we have been able to uh, create a vibrant and uh, uh, really outstanding uh, food and uh, cocktail scene, um, it's still we we're still in the in the back of the bus. We're still uh, not the uh, ones that people look at for uh, and look for whenever they have want to display the best that Texas has to offer. Where where is this coming from, and what is it that I mean by this? Well, very simply, last week, this week, this past week at Chicago style, there was the uh, the bar fights. Um, if you're not familiar, this is where bars from different cities um, recreate their own bars concepts um, in in this location, and uh, the one that does the best job is uh, the one that that wins. And so, once um, so, the bar that won, let's start with that, um, is a bar from Houston, is uh, called Johnny Goldbricks. This is a bar that has got a bunch of very young bartenders that have do a brand new menu every month. These guys do, you know, fresh ingredients, craft cocktails, the whole deal, everything that you can imagine. They do a new menu every month. And so they went out there and they won this this competition. So then whenever the uh, an article comes out and, you know, everybody starts sharing it and all happy because Johnny Goldbricks won, which was great. And I can appreciate that. 
But you look at the, 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 the cover of that article, the picture on that cover, and uh, it's, it's not a um, bartender from Johnny Goldbricks. It's not even a bartender from Houston that they put on there. And I found that offensive in part because it's the same thing that always happens when it comes to Texas bartending. All these uh, publishers, editors, um, publications want to show uh, Austin, right? Nothing against the, uh, the person that is on there. Uh, great guy. Uh, always been super cool. And uh, Austin has his own great uh, bar scene. They even got uh, crowd, uh, crowd favorite on that. But the competition was won by a Houston bar. And although the article concentrated focus was on the bar fights and who won, the main picture that on, on the article wasn't, um, wasn't from Houston and wasn't from, from the bar that won. Now, you may think it's like, well, this is just being trifle or this is just being nitpicky and any of that. But the fact is, that if Houston wants to have the recognition and uh, it wants to be able to be taken seriously, then whenever it wins, we need to demand that we get the same attention um, because we've created a great uh, food scene, culinary scene, great cocktail scene, and yet whenever people think about Texas culinary uh, scene or cocktail scene, they're thinking Austin. And uh, I don't think there's any James Beard winners in, in Austin. Not even going to get into that. But the fact is, is that if a bar from Houston wins and an article is talking about that, I don't understand why they would put a picture of an Austin bartender. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, how else is the rest of the country know, to know who and, and what is going on in Houston if every time Houston wins what they decide to cover is Austin their prerogative as a publication but I don't think that as the uh, the Houston uh, cocktail scene and bar scene needs to support that so those are my two cents alright let's get back to Andy Seymour and uh, what he has to say about Sherry what is Sherry? So Sherry is a fortified wine, which okay. means that um, we're making wine, uh, for the most part, with a grape called Palomino. Um, that Only Palomino? Well, Palomino is the main grape. Uh, there's two other grapes, uh, Muscatel and Pedro Jimenez. Okay. Um, but both of those are treated in a different way. They're treated basically to make them sweet. So they're harvested later, um, and when they're, when, you know, the process of preparing them for fermentation is laying them out on dry straw mat, or on straw mats in the sun um, and allowing them to sort of you know concentrate resonate. and resonate uh, and then as the fermentation's kicked off it's arrested to lock in the sweetness so those two grapes are the reasons that we have sweet cherry um, and that you can each of them are you know we're getting ahead of ourselves because they both sort of fall at the end of the spectrum but both of them would be where we would take um, take the idea of you know of a dessert sherry you know Pedro Jimenez by itself 
is as sweet a wine as you're gonna find. I okay, mean, somewhere so in the neighborhood of most of them are just Palomino, um, which means that when we take the Palomino, so starting at the other end of the spectrum, Palomino, we take that grape. Uh, like I said, it's a fortified wine, which means we're gonna take the take the grape and ferment it into the wine, just like you'd make any table wine. Allow it to uh, ferment, but the fermentation is gonna go all the way out. So basically, allowing as much of the sugar to, to be uh, fermented out as possible. Then what happens again? If you stop the process there, what you would get from that Palomino grape, uh, just kind of a nice, simple table white wine. Um, which you could drink, and certainly people do, um, although it's not really made, not a lot of it is made to, to be consumed that way. Um, the process of sherry is, is what, sort of what makes it unique, it's what makes it special. So what happens from that point forward is that wine is then put into barrel, and with sherry we're using uh, oak barrels, but there are oak barrels that have been used before. Um, we're not trying to get the flavor of oak. We're not trying to, you know, have the. We basically want to have a, a more or less a neutral vessel to age the wine in. As far as the barrel, of European, American, American Slovak, oak. Okay. American oak, um, and again, that you know, kind of falls in line with a tradition that started um, going back to like the slave triangle um, and the sherry. Basically, um, if you had the ships coming from England to Spain, you know, the English were obviously the merchants of the sea, heavily involved in the sherry trade. They were coming down to Spain, um, picking up sherry, um, taking it to the, you know, probably stopping in the Caribbean for some stuff, coming to the to the states, um, selling sherry, bringing obviously bringing slaves and some of the you know tawdry aspects of what was going on then, um, going up the coast, you know, dropping more sherry. In the process, they're also bringing back um, American oak because they would use, like, again, a lot of what they were using as the ballast to study the ship were the sherry right. sherry okay. boats, and and again because sherry is not trying to be aged to, you know, to take the flavors of the barrel, but to have a more neutral vessel for aging it in. Um, you know, once the process, or once it got to be that we were using American oak, that's basically how it stayed. A lot, you know, again, as with sherry, a lot of it sort of happened through the process of creating what it would ultimately become, and now it is a, a you know, sort of a time-tested style. They'll literally use a barrel Till you know, till it wears itself out, um, they'll fix it. So it falls apart. Yeah, and they'll you know, and again, they'll fix the stave, and they'll try and keep a barrel you know as long as possible. Because again, uh -huh. those are those are the those are the the sort of the receptacles for 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 the for the wine and for the aging, and and you know, they're they're part of the they're part of the solera, which we'll talk about. Okay. Uh, and like I said, it's a fortified wine. So that means fortified just means that we're adding alcohol to it in some way. Now with sherry, what they're doing is they're taking. Um, basically a, a neutral grape brandy um, and mixing that with grape musts or grape juice um, with, and to, to reduce the alcohol uh, and then that is what they fortify. So it's sort of like a, like a grape brandy juice yeah. more or less that they're fortifying with. And they'll add that to the sherry. Now how much they choose to add at that point basically determines the style of sherry that we're, that we're going to end up with. So there's two styles of aging sherry. There's biological aging which basically means that the wine is going to be protected by something called floor. Um, floor, for those of us who, you know, think about sherry, love sherry, is, is that it's the magic. It's not magic because it happens by magic, but it is one of the magical things of sherry in that it, it helps to create 
it helps to create these styles of wine. So again, let's just talk about biological age, Jerry, for a minute. What we want to do to biologically age or age a sherry under floor uh, is fortify it to just over 15% alcohol. Just uh, over 15%. Yeah, the number I was always told was somewhere between 15.2 and 15.4% of alcohol. And at that level of alcohol, in, uh, in the sort of cool, damp conditions of the Solaris, uh, and where they're aged, uh, what, ha what starts to happen is the floor, a floor, or a, basically a layer of yeast starts to grow on top of the wine. So again, the, the barrels are not filled all the way up, so they're filled to, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters full. Uh, and a what, what does that layer do? Basically, it'll, it, it allows for this cap of floor to grow on top of the wine and basically seal it off from oxidation, basically protecting the wine, which is sitting in, a, in an oak barrel, um, which again would have air sort of keep coming into it. The floor acts as a protective cap. And at the same time, what the floor is doing is it's also eating all of the residual sugar that's left in the wine. So through the... So it makes a very dry... Yeah, so it's taking what is a relatively dry wine and it's making it as dry a wine as we're going to get. That's what the floor feeds on. And so to make... Like, if we're going to make... There's, there's ca categories this year. You've got uh, Fino and Manzanilla, which are kind of the same thing in that they are... 100% from the start to the end are aged under floor. So they're meant to be protected from oxidation. They're meant to be bone, bone dry. Um, and really the only difference between Fino and Manzanilla is Fino is made, uh, the grapes can be grown anywhere, but it's aged in Jerez proper, um, Jerez de la Frontera, um, or Puerto de Santa Maria, whereas Manzanilla can only be aged in San Lucar. So there's basically those three cities which are which are make up the sherry triangle of, you know, of Jerez, uh, uh, Puerto and, and San Lucar. And those three cities, um, you know, are where all the sherry is and, and the area around them, where all the vineyards are grow and where all the producers make the wine and age the wine. But it's in Manzanilla has to come and be aged in San Lucar. And what happens in San Lucar is it's close, it's right on the ocean, it's closer to the sea, it's got much more influence of the sea. So the, the crisper climate and the influence of the sea have their effect on the wine. The floor tends to grow a little bit thicker. And the wines tend to be a little bit more like lighter uh, in, in overall body. You have the breezes that come in and out of Jerez. They're uh, the breezes that go towards the sea and the breezes that come from the sea. Right. So you have uh, basically uh, the impact of those breezes. You know, obviously you get the impact of the ocean that, that, that impacts the wine. Um, and at the same time, you have all these conditions that come into play because you've got uh, in, in Jerez, you've got very hot days for the most part, um, especially in the summertime, but the, but the climate is dry. All the rainfall comes in a very short amount of time and they don't get that much. So they, you know, again, the, the various bodegas use ways of gathering the rain and having it be in the ground and they'll use it and, the, you know, basically keep the, keep the area inside the solera where the wines are aging damp and humid. Okay. Um, but there isn't a lot of rainfall, uh, at least in, in, the, in the perfect world. Um, so you have hot, dry conditions. You've got high temperatures during the day, but you've also got the impact of the sea where this kind of fog rolls in at night and throws this little sort of, you know, biological blanket over the, over the vineyards and the grapes so that it gets very, very cool at night. And you've got that big change of temperature from day to night. It's very heavily regulated by the Consejo Regulador of Jerez. Okay. Um, all of the wines are, all of the, you know, you can't open a barrel um, with, and taste it without, you know, approval from the Consejo Regulador. Oh, I mean, sure. it's, okay, it's, really. a, it, it's a heavily regulated process. Um, and again, all of that speaks to the quality. Then we jump to Amontillado. 
Um, so Amontillado, what Amontillado is, is a style that is biologically aged. So it starts out, honestly, it goes through the exact same process that we'd go through to make a phenol, put it in a barrel, fortify it, allow the floor to grow. Um, and then at a certain point, and this varies from house to house, and it varies for the various Amontillados that, a, that an individual house might make. But at some point, maybe three years in, maybe four years in, maybe five years in, we're going to fortify again. I mean, the fortification can happen. There's always more than <laughs> multiple fortifications when it comes to sherry, but but fortified to the point where we're gonna um, we want that floor to go away. Now we want that wine to see oxidation. So fortifying the second time. Fortif uh, so again, if we're going takes if, away the so the first time you fortify brings you the flora. Second time you fortify it takes away yeah, the flora. Basically, you can think about it like this. Right at the beginning of the winemaking process, they're gonna fortify every wine to usually they're gonna. What they usually say, the easiest way to remember it is you want biological aging or you don't want biological aging. So if biological aging is around 15%, non-biological aging or oxidative aging, if you will, uh, uh, is like 17%. So we're going to fortify with higher alcohol. Now, again, the way that I've heard it, every house, at, at least the good ones, every single wine is going to be fortified to see a little bit of floor right at the beginning of the process, even, even if it knows that it's going to be like an Oloroso wine, that's all oxidative, which we'll get to in a minute. But like, so you've got the first fortification to sort of set the style, get the second fortification to reinforce where it's gonna go. Um, and then there'll be more fortifications. So like in the case of an Amontillado, we raise the fortification level up, we raise the alcohol of that wine up to about 17% alcohol, and the wine and the floor can't survive. Like again, it's feeding off the of the perfect conditions at the lower alcohol and all the sugar and and again, as we'll talk about the Solera, but basically every year that we make sherry, um, we're feeding it with younger wines. We're essentially, feeding it with young wines is what allows the floor to survive. From that point, if we want to make an Amontillado, we want to have some of this biological aging, some of the protected by floor, right. and then we want to, it's not even so much killing the floor and like cleaning it off and letting it now have oxygen, it's sort of letting it die away, uh, which can happen by either not feeding it with young wines, because it now no, doesn't have the sugar that it needs to, to eat, so it'll, Sometimes, again, sometimes they'll do uh, Montiados or even like a Finora Montania Passata, which means essentially just sort of letting the floor die away and just the very early stages of oxidation sort of creeping in. Um, that's kind of what's going on here. So with the Montiato, we basically are just trying to have two halves, underfloor and not underfloor. So you get sort of this nice, lighter, elegant style that you get from being underfloor, and then you start to develop all of the, you know, more full-bodied, robust notes, the, the nuttiness, the dried fruit, the things that we sort of associate with, I mean, that a lot of people associate with sherry, but yeah, yeah. with Amontillado. So it's got this kind of nice, um, nutty elegance. Um, you've got a lot, of, a lot of nuance, but not overpowering, like driven by like really rich flavors. So then we go to Oloroso. Now Oloroso is, is oxidative aging, theoretically 100% oxidative aging. Now probably doesn't see a little bit of floor at the beginning, yes. But then they're gonna fortify it up to 17%, allow it to be aged without the floor, so that you're, again, the oxidation is bringing out all of that deep, rich aspect of the wine. So you're taking this, uh, you know, taking the wine that exists, and you know, again, if you taste a fino, you'll taste fruit, you'll taste nuttiness, but it's like subtle and understated. Whereas you allow a wine to sit in a solero, in a barrel, and oxidate for years and years, and then blend it, you get like all of that nuttiness and dried fruit, and all those flavors really start to compound. So Olorosos lend them, 
themselves to being like having sweetness added to them because they're so full body. They're driven by the flavor of fruit. Um, now again, an Oloroso is bone dry. Palomino is going to make it a dry wine. It'll it'll sort of indicate richness and and, and have that kind of indication of uh, of of you know dried fruit and flavors of that. But it'll be dry. It's it's fermented all the way out and through the process of of aging. It's not it's not it it. it consolidate so that like some of the some of the sweetness sort of comes back naturally. So if we have our Moscatel and our Pedro Jimenez and we've allowed them to to age on their own in their own Solera but as very concentrated sweet wines. So for an Oloroso say if we wanted to make a like a slightly sweet Oloroso over time we could blend in like you know 10% of the wine to get to to have Moscatel or Pedro Jimenez. Um, and what that does is it takes, again, takes sort of that base richness and full-bodied fruit-driven flavor of an Oloroso and, and pumps it up with the sweetness. So it, you know, rounds it out, brings that sweetness, brings that other component. Um, and again, that's, you know, that is what some Olorosos choose to do. Or again, a style like a cream sherry, which is, which is essentially taking an Oloroso and utilizing Moscatel and Pedro Jimenez to, again, the best way I've heard it to describe, to sweeten it for sure and to sort of give it a creamy texture, which is where the, the name comes right. from. To take that, you know, sweetness and smoothness and, and easy drinking aspect of that. So it's, it's basically a sweet Oloroso. So within the category of cream uh, mm -hmm. sherry, mm -hmm. are there multiple styles of cream? Or is this just cream's just a like a, a name for a a style of sweet oloroso basically? Okay, it's basically just taking the idea of the muscatel and Pedro Jimenez being blended to sherry, and again, it's it's. it's it's utilizing those wines in an Oloroso to give them that creamy texture, but there are lots of Olorosos that blend in either Muscatel or Pedro Jimenez or both just to make them sweet Olorosos. Right. Um, and there's a style that had developed called East India Solera, which was which literally happened on the ships when they would take these some of these older styles. And again, this, some of this may be uh, a little bit of historical poetry, but I always heard that like you know as they were literally traveling from Spain to around the coast of India um, that, you know, they would, you know, buy and sell and you'd sell some of the sherry and you'd drink some of the sherry and whatever was in the barrels and you'd acquire some other things and, and maybe some things like, you know, you needed to pump up the volume and, uh, you know, if we've drank too much of the sherry and we need to make sure that we have enough to sell when we get to, to the ports, uh, maybe you'd pour some things in there. Maybe there's maybe some syrup or some whatever or whatever we had to to allow this wine together and as much as anything no temperature control obviously in the hold of a ship so it's it's heating up and cooling down and heating up and cooling down and matterizing um and and as over the course of all of that sort of cooking the wine into this again what it ultimately is is an Oloroso with a good deal of sweetness in it but then all of that sort of they will have specific solaris just for east india that are warm like they'll allow them to heat up and and basically have them sit in a hot solera for a year to recreate that process of sort of cooking the wine if you will to really integrate all those flavors um okay. and that's and a, so, you know that's a sweeter dessert style that that so now we're getting into the yeah. sweeter stuff it's you're still in within cream yep um, and Cream, then so then East India, I mean, again, sweet Oloroso can be anything from just a good, rich wine that would be great with, you know, game, duck, foie gras, things like that for, you know, delicious um, because it's got that great body. It's got great, it's like acidity is really the key to sherry yeah. because all the way up and down based on where the, so, where you know, the chalk soil that exists, the, the Albarisa soil that exists in, in Jerez and, you know, the way that the, the, the temperature change and all these factors that contribute to great acidity and the grapes lead to great acidity in the wines and make them really food friendly. Yep. One of the great things about sherry is, is how, because of that acidity building block that it has, it, it works with food 
up and down, like across the board, from all the appetizer stuff we were talking about before to main course stuff to you know to cheese courses to foie gras to you know our dessert courses and things like that. For both the Pedro Jimenez and the Muscatel, we harvest them late so that they really like you know it's a white grape but it starts to turn rosy red on the vine because it's so concentrated and it's really got the sugar um, and lay them on the mats, allow them to raisinate, start the fermentation, arrest the fermentation with alcohol okay. so that we're locking in the sweetness. And again, these are crazy, crazy sweet wines, like, you know, 450 grams per liter of sugar. Um, you know, so wow. like, again, from zero, like zero-ish from Fino all the way up to 450 and, and even a little bit higher on a few of the like really older concentrated Pedro Jimenez, you know, you've got this ridiculous range from dry to sweet. So like when you taste a Pedro Jimenez, um, even the most simple, basic Pedro Jimenez, you can get that just unbelievable concentration of flavor that comes from, you know, that comes from like, again, aging the wine, arresting the wine, allowing all the, all the sugar in, all the potential sugar in that wine to really, they will be aged in their own Solera, you know, and again, we'll, we'll come around and make sure we talk about the Solera, but they're aged in their own way. And then again, some of them will be blended into other wines okay. and some of them will be bottled just by themselves. So what is a Solera? A Solera is... Um, basic visual would be barrels that are sitting or laying on its side um, and there could be stacked from 3 to 5 to 10 to whatever amount a particular bodega wants to keep and whenever you go to bottle you grab from the bottom one okay the very bottom one you're going to pull no more than a third from that um, from those barrels and you're going to bottle that then you're going to take what's uh, the barrel that is above that bottom one and you're going to fill what was taken from that, that very last one. And then the one above that and so on and so forth until you get to the very top. The very top is where you're going to put the new fill. And the new fill is the wine from the current season. And that process repeats itself uh, throughout uh, year after year and in some Soleras uh, from generation to generation. And so I'll let uh, Andy explain the rest. Solera in its most basic form is blending wines of different years. Um, it really is as simple as, I think the best way to visualize it for someone who's never thought about it would be an upside down pyramid where we're taking as many, lots of things and blending them down to one, um, which is again, extremely simplistic, but it is the idea of when we make wine this year, so we'll go into harvest, we'll harvest our wine, we'll make our wine, or we'll harvest our grapes, we'll make our wine, we'll put it into a barrel, we'll, for, we'll fortify that wine, and that basically becomes a, a criadera, or a scale, or a year of sherry, of jerez. Okay. Um, that then goes to essentially the top of the solera, and that wine will be blended with the years before, the you know, so what you ultimately end up with is more like instead of actual individual years, you, they they refer to them as scales, which are sort of stages of the development of a wine. So again, you got the really young stuff that's coming in and adding, you know, adding its Acidity freshness and, and crispness right. and brightness and sugar that if we need the floor, etc. Um, and that'll be you know essentially all of that will start to be blended to a certain point, and you can taste sort of the development of the wine to a certain like. And again, you can taste how that would compare to the final wine. And then that will be then blended. And all of these different barrels are, are blended in very small amounts from, from one to the other. And again, at this point, done very techno technologically with computers and things like that. And, and you know, tubes and pipes that essentially do the blending, um, 
you know, almost quite uh, scientifically, yeah. but yeah, automatically, but obviously all by the hand of, of the winemaker. But yeah, taking very small amounts, never, never more than, you know, like was it a third? I think the maximum is a third, but they'd never take anywhere close to a third of a barrel. Oh, really? Uh, in, in a single blend. Okay. They would just take little bits and pieces. And essentially it's trying to take all, like all the complexity of all these wines and, and have it end up in one wine. So again, this, these scales, which can be, uh, you know, which are always marked like, you know, any, the, the most you'll see is, I you know, usually see four, five, six scales, which would be like, again, they're these sort of groupings of wines that lead to the development of the final. This, the, the, the bottom line is called the Solera. That's what we're drinking. So like, you know, Tio Pepe is a Fino Solera. That's what that would be called. Right. And that's what, again, that would taste the same every year. And the whole point of the scales would be to develop scales that, that lead you to that final one that's going to taste like Tio Pepe every single time. Uh, and that's how the process of Solera works, is taking many, many things. So again, we'll start with this year, begin the process of blending that into that first scale, that first Criadera, uh, and have them go down along the line to the point where, like, it, let's just say there's five, um, that the combination of all those wines becomes in that final Criadera, and that final scale, that's our Solera. That's our that's our that's our wine. And and just to to close that point, the Solera itself is like a family tree in that it goes all the way back to the first time that the wine was blended. So there are bits and pieces like a, you know a lot of these Soleras go back to the 1800s or early 1900s. So it's like if you think about just you know math, if you can never you can always cut something in half to infinity. There's you're, there's always going to be a little bit like if the Solera is, is done the way it's supposed to do, where you never would take an entire bo- uh, barrel of anything but always little fractions of it, there's going to be bits and pieces of wines from, you know, from over 100 years ago, 150 years ago. And some of these older Solaris, you know, some of them are close to 200 years at this point, or, you know, that's on the really, really long end. But 150 is not uncommon for some of these older, older, older Solaris. All right, I hope that this uh, was uh, good information for you, got you a little bit more familiar with the category, uh, with... uh, the product that is uh, sherry and if you have any questions make sure you uh you can hit me up either on instagram um david dacry david underscore dacry uh, also on facebook but i'd like to thank uh andy seymour for um being generous enough with his time to uh sit down with me at uh and and have this conversation because uh, this is information that benefits all of us uh, like I said, he's, he's always been very generous with his time and with his uh, knowledge. And um, he uh, has got to be probably the person that I have learned the most um, when it comes to craft cocktails, the bar scene, how to manage, how to do a lot of different things. So big thank you to to that guy. Please check out the website, openbar.space. You can also find me on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tune in, Alexa, and Overcast. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going.